So, so moving on to, let's assume you've handled all the objections, you've set up your meetings, you've gotten your appointments, now what do you do? You're, you're in a meeting now with a client. What do you do? Wait, 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 wait. Can I just jump in for one second? Sure. I think what you do first is you prepare for the meeting with a client. Yes. That's a, to me, that's a big deal. How do you prepare? What do you do to prepare for a meeting? Well, you know, I, I, you're asking me? Or yeah, sure. Asking Anybody. Everybody. One of the things I do is I just try to find out as much information I can as I can about that person and their company and really spend a lot of time doing my homework. And the more detailed information and the more different sources I can consult and the more stuff I can get, the better. So I want to be able to come across that person when I get there as somebody who's really done their homework and really knows stuff about them that might even surprise them and stuff about their company in terms of their needs and what they've done in terms of my services. What type of sources do you access? It could be people I know who are colleagues who have, have worked there or know people who have worked there. It's a, lot, it's a lot of phone calls. I spend hours doing that stuff uh, for one meeting to be, to be really well prepared. And, and to give you another alternative, I don't do that. Uh-huh. So there's, I mean, really it's about your comfort level. What I do is I, my, my slogan for myself, because I can mm -hmm. make myself crazy doing that stuff. I can mm -hmm. spend hours and hours researching, and then I, I'm, to me, that's not billable time. And so I, I feel like, you know, I, there's, I can overload myself. I can get overwhelmed with the information, and mm -hmm. I stress myself out when I do that. So for me, my slogan is prepared enough to wing it. So I just want to be prepared enough to wing it. I want to do a little bit of research. I probably go to their website. Mm -hmm. I get a feel of the company. I get a feel of what the person that I'm talking to is or does. And then I, I file that away. I, you know, I take a few notes, but I file that away, and I use that information to create the questions that I'm going to ask. I guide the client meeting the same way I guide a coaching conversation with questions. So okay. I design the questions I'm going to ask. And that's how I prepare for a meeting, is designing. And how do you design the questions that you're going to ask? Well, it depends on what I want to know, and it depends mm -hmm. on what I already think I know, because a lot of the questions are about checking out some assumptions. And then it's really about, start, just like Stephen Covey says, you start with the end in mind. Okay, where do I want to end up at the end of this meeting? Well. At the end of this meeting, I either want to know that there's an opportunity for me to help them doing work or that there's some other connection that we have. So what questions do I need to ask this person to get there? Chances are I want to know about how, the, how what they do. I want to know not only about their company from their perspective, but I want to know about their job from their perspective. I want to know what are their challenges. I want to know how did they come to be here? What, how did they get here? Mm -hmm. You find out really interesting things when you ask that question. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good question. I think that the real chess match of the client meeting is less about positioning yourself and more about listening to them. To them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, yeah. That I can do on the fly. I mean, that's a, that, well, I should think of that yeah. one. Well, yes, you can, and there's something really powerful that happens when you design your questions ahead of time. You may actually not even use the questions that you've designed ahead of time, but just the process of thinking through the chess match of the client meeting and designing your questions ahead of time. In other words, I want to ask this question, and depending on what they answer, I either want to ask this question or this question. And depending on how they answer that, I want to take this route and ask this series of questions, or I want to back up and ask this follow-up question. 
So thinking through that chess match prepares you in a different way than being in the meeting and really being present and coming up with questions, which is what you'll do anyway. Because that's, you know, that's who we are as coaches. We get, we get in, we get present, we really listen, and we ask the questions that are there to ask in the moment based on intuition or, or signs we're reading or whatever, which there's nothing wrong with that. But just the process of going through, thinking through for yourself, what do I want to ask? What do I want to find out? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to leave this meeting? Because the moment you stop leading the meeting is the moment you're starting to waste your own time. And how you're leading the meeting is by letting them talk. I agree. Okay. This is Jeremy. I think that the, the idea of having designed questions is like having the design, you know, the script that you can then you can then uh, improvise based on. Right. Uh, but having the the design questions gives you the structure to give you the, yourself the confidence to lead the meeting and to go where you want to go with the client. It doesn't mean you don't listen 80% of the time. Right. You must listen 80% of the time. And having the right questions will allow you to do that. And the the thing, the other thing that you prepare too. And this, I would actually spend a lot of time preparing initially. Eventually, you'll have these in your back pocket. You won't need to spend a lot of time preparing them. But you want to prepare stories and anecdotes that demonstrate accomplishments, results, and skills that you have. Yes. And you want to practice these stories as if you were standing up on stage telling them to people. You want to practice telling them in a natural way. You want to have a beginning, middle, and end to your story. You want it to make a point. You want it to be concise. You want it to demonstrate something tangible about you because what happens is rather than positioning yourself as a uniquely separate coach from the other coaches that are presented, rather than saying the benefits of working with me are X, Y, and Z or the unique things that I offer are these unique things, if you can tell stories that demonstrate what those things are, even just having one, two, or three stories in your back pocket to pull out at relevant moments in the, in the conversation. Can you give me an example? You have, everybody everybody in this class has client stories. Yeah. Right. Now, they might not be a coaching client per se, but they've been a client of you in some capacity. They've been a client of you as a student. They've been a client mm -hmm. of you mm -hmm. as, a, as a patient. They've been a client mm -hmm. as a colleague. And everybody has interesting stories, which then in our moment of, of uh, panic or fear that we forget, we become inhibited. If we just sort of like unfreeze those stories and start to remember, and some of them are funny stories, mm -hmm. and some of them illustrate a point as to what you've done well or what you've helped uncover with that person, mm -hmm. just try to pull them out and write some of those down so that you can tell those stories. There's just You don't even write the, need to write the whole story down, but just write reminders to yourself. Whatever helps you remember. So if you know that going into a specific meeting, you want to prove some specific points about how your coaching was effective. Let's say you know going into this meeting that what they're interested in is cost savings or what they're interested in is retention issues. You want to yeah. come up with stories that you have that demonstrate your effectiveness in helping other clients solve those yeah. particular problems. And the, the stories are something that you want to practice telling so that, you're, so that you're actually having a beginning, middle, and an end, and you're proving a point, and you're demonstrating something. Because what happens when people listen to your anecdotes is they see themselves in those. And rather than you saying, here's what I can do for you, yep. by telling a story, it allows them to make that leap and participate with you in a different way because they start to see, oh, if he or she did that for these people, that's exactly what I need. I can see how they can do that for me. It's interesting, Susie, because it's the same advice that they, you know, you know, writing teachers have given to writers for centuries, which is maybe not centuries, decades. 
don't just tell the story, show it. Exactly. Exactly. So part of your chess match in the in the actual meeting is not only planning two steps ahead of what what's the next question to ask, but still listening. I mean, you still have to really be present and listen. But but it's also about figuring out. You know what? I really want to use this story in this meeting. I think this story would be helpful. When is the appropriate time to throw that in? You definitely want your stories to be relevant. There's nothing worse than telling a story that's not relevant. <laughs> what, because then the person just stares at you with this look on their face, like, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's, that's why the stories take planning, just like the questions take planning. And there's so much, I have to tell you, when you're in the client meeting, there's so much that you're focusing on in that meeting. First of all, you're leading the meeting. Second of all, you're, you're thinking about the chess moves two moves away. Third of all, you're thinking about what questions you want to ask. You're really focusing and focusing and being present and listening to the person and what their needs are and what they're not telling you, you know, what's beneath what they're telling you. So you've got all that going on. If you have your questions and stories planned ahead of time, it's much easier. It's much, much easier because then you don't have to think about those. If you take the time to think about those in the meeting, chances are you're missing half of what the client's telling you. Let me give you guys, just as you're going into a client meeting, there are six elements of a successful client meeting, okay? okay. The six elements, and I'll, and I'll break these down for you a little further, but the six elements are, number one, rapport building. Number two, building trust. Number three, asking the questions that we've already spent the time designing. Number four is listening. We've talked about the 80-20 rule. Number five is storytelling. And number six, da-da-da, is getting the second meeting. <laughs> so we're back to getting another meeting. Okay, so... So in the first element, rapport building, this is how you open the dialogue. Um, you want to establish peerage, and what I mean by that is you're an equal of this person. You're not a subordinate coming in to grovel for the opportunity to deal with them. Um, and you're not coming in as better than them. You're coming in right at the same level. And it's an opportunity to find connections, and it's an opportunity to get the client talking about themselves right off the bat. So you're, you're trying to build rapport. I would steer clear of, there are some things that people do when you meet someone for the first time and you're in their office. The tendency is to try and connect with them and build rapport based on pictures that they have in their office. Yeah, so-called icebreakers, yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, I agree. Don't do anything personal. Don't do anything don't personal. Don't do that. In fact, um, a, a colleague of mine tells a wonderful story about how she got trapped early on in her, in her years of doing this because she walked into someone's office. This was where she learned her lesson, and they had a giant fish on the wall, a giant marlin hanging over the desk. And so she, of course, starts commenting on the marlin. Oh, my gosh, are you a fisherman? Did you catch that yourself? That's really a cool thing. I love fish. It was in their office. And the guy, this is in the guy's office, and he looks at her and very, <laughs> in a very straightforward way says, nope, that's just there for salespeople like you to ask me about. <laughs> so you want to be very careful about, you know, trying to reach out to to talk about whatever Boy, that tells office. you about him, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So, number two, building trust. This is this is really where you're confirming your credibility and you're demonstrating your competence and you're modeling your integrity and, you know, there are, you're, you're really kind of demonstrating some of your basic mindsets. And all of this, this rapport building and trust building, a lot of this happens in your 30-second commercial. And, again, storytelling helps with this. So it's not like with these six elements, you're doing them one, two, three, four, five, six in right. order. These are, it's a very organic, 
you're weaving all of these things into the meeting. Um, the third element is questioning. So finding out as much as you can about what they do and how they do it, um, asking them questions about the past and about what's currently going on and about what they want for the future. Um, looking for ways that you can be helpful to this person, asking questions about, you know, really how you find out about what their needs are is by asking questions. So this is where you find the connections of how you can help them. And, and keeping open to what's possible, exploring what's possible. The, the fourth one is listening. And so you want to predict and prepare for what might be your obstacles to listening if you know that if you know that you're the kind of person that sort of checks out a little bit as you're trying to think of the next question, have all your questions written out for yourself beforehand so that you can listen fully. That sort of a thing. Really what you're doing when you're listening, the actions that you're taking in the meeting while you're listening is you're confirming what they're saying, you're clarifying what they're saying, and you're taking notes on what they're saying. You be writing down notes. You can be writing notes, yeah. You can be asking follow-up questions. And you also want to plan what to listen for, so that you're knowing what to listen for. How do you do that, Beth? Well, that's part of designing your questions. It depends on the purpose of your meeting. Okay. So know what you're listening for. Are you listening for an opportunity for a second meeting? Are you listening for who the decision makers are? Are you listening mm -hmm. for what the coaching or training needs are in the organization? Are you listening for the current hot issues of the day in the organization? It's not that different than developing any kind of relationship. I mean, one thing I always listen for is a chance to tell my stories. Yeah. Because I know by the time I tell my stories, I should have some kind of relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to be asking for the second meeting, not even me. Right. I mean, I, if possible, I want them to, to say that. Mm -hmm. That's much more powerful. Exactly. The fifth one is storytelling. So you want you want your stories to have a you want to plan ahead the purpose of your stories, what kinds of stories to tell, when to use the stories to to move the conversation forward, and you want to develop powerful and relevant stories. And then the last one is getting to the second meeting. So you're looking for reasons to get back together. Um, you actually have to request what you want. You either have to ask for the business or ask for another meeting or ask for the opportunity to submit a proposal or ask for um, the opportunity to meet the members of the board or, you know, whatever whatever's next. You want to ask for it. That is, by the way, a famous cliche in selling is that, what is it, Susie, 65% of salespeople don't make a sale because they never directly ask the person for the business. Right. That's right. you got to ask. In fact... Again, this comes back to the same thing that you did when you were setting up the meeting in the first place. Whip out your calendar. Open up your calendar or turn on your Palm Pilot or whatever you use and say, listen, you know what, I think we should get back together in a month to talk about this and I can, give you, I can bring you the proposal at that time or whatever the next steps are. Mm -hmm. Schedule it right then and there at the end of your meeting. Don't leave the meeting without doing that because then you have to go through calling them again. Yeah, I don't like to go that far out if I have to. I mean, I want to, my ideal is to make a proposal right then and there. I would love to send you a proposal. I would really like to work with you and just tell them how excited I am about the possibility of working with them. And also, a really great thing you can do in that meeting is have them help you design the proposal. And I've actually yeah. said to prospects, listen, in this proposal that I'm going to submit to you, what, what would be useful for you to see in this proposal? That's good. What do you need in order, you know, most of the time they have someone else they have to take the proposal to. Right. So they either have to take it to a board to convince the board or they have to share it with their colleagues or they, whatever. There's an executive committee they have to show it to. Right. So really it's 
well, what do we, again, I'm back in the partnership mode, what do we want to put in this proposal so that you can most effectively communicate it to the board? What, what do they need to see? What are they going to ask you? What do you want to make sure I cover in here for you? So, you're, you're, again, you're helping them. And then the best thing is when you can, right in those meetings, have them give you, like, well, here's what you should put in the proposal. You should have a purpose. You should have this. You should tell us these things. You know, they'll tell you exactly what they want to see. They'll write the proposal for you, basically, and then you just go put the content in. I like that, but I like also being able to, that I can lead with a proposal and I can stand a modification from them. I think that a lot of clients like it when you're, like, ready to sort of whip out the proposal and have that for them because that sort of is very assertive. It tells them you're ready to conduct business with them. Yes. And they, you know, they can modify your proposal. I, I don't care. I, I just want it signed by them. I've already signed it. I've sent them two copies. One is mine, and I'm holding on to. You know, I'm asking them to hold on to one at the end of the day, and just send me back the other one. But do you do that in your first meeting? Yeah, I'll do that right away. Wow. Yeah. Based on the first meeting, I'm, that I, I well, know based enough. on the first meeting. You, you had the meeting. You leave the office. You go back home. You write up the proposal send it in the next day? That's okay. right. Okay. I turn it around right away, and it's, okay. it's my way of showing them. I really listen to them. I'm serious about I'm ready to start. This is the kind of service they, they can expect from me. They'll, I'll turn yeah. something around right point. away, yeah. and this is how it's going to be. They want something, I will give it to them, whatever that is. So. And I think it really depends on what your client situation is and yeah. what, what their corporate culture is and but, what their needs yeah. are. And I mean, they might have to bat it around for six months. Yeah. Well, I'm showing them in that moment I'm ready to go. Well, and the other thing I can tell you, too, is that I work with I work with a lot of attorneys and law firms. Right. And if you turn something around that fast, um, it, my experience with the attorneys is that they don't value it because they assume you've already pre-written it and that you're not giving them something that's based on what they said to you. In fact, they expect, <laughs> attorneys actually expect lots of words, so <laughs> they expect it to take you time to write it. And they expect it to be, you know, 10 pages minimum. And, you know, they have all these things that they expect. So, again, it's that's knowing... That's what they do. It's matching the culture, really. Exactly. It's knowing your audience, knowing the culture of who you're working with. And if they're going to be inspired by a quick turnaround, absolutely. Get it to them right away.